0: Nearly everyone recognizes there are threats to human survival from which we may need to be saved or to be delivered from or to be rescued from. Many are concerned that climate change is threatening our existence. Some are not. Many are. Or nuclear war, or biological war, or terrorism, or disease or an asteroid, or aliens. We speak of saving the earth, saving endangered species like whales and owls, or people. The question isn't, are there threats to our well-being, but ultimately, how shall we be saved? How shall we be saved? The 1933 Humanist Manifesto said, How many of you know this? How many of you have read the 1933 Humanist Manifesto lately? Said, No deity will save us, we must save ourselves. No God shall save us, we must save ourselves. And an updated statement on their website is as in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional belief in God especially faith in the prayer-hearing God, assumed to live and care for people, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is an unproved and obsolete faith. Salvationism, based on mere belief, still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. They say reasonable minds look to other means for survival. Human history has proven that we won't find other means of survival. For where every advance we we make for good, we come up with some offsetting destructive evil. We're We're good at that. We are broken and sinful. What does it mean to be sinful? Don't point to your wife or husband and say, there's an example. Don't do that saying, don't do that. We don't live for God and his ways. That's what being sinful is. We don't live for God and his ways. We don't love him above all else. And we need to know that life doesn't work apart from God. And where we think life can work apart from God, that's sin. We live in a broken world, and then we die. That's bad news. In case you didn't know it, I'm sorry to start with such bad news, but we won't want the good news of Christmas unless we really believe what the bad news is or how bad the bad news is. We need to know what we need to be saved from. If the bad news isn't so bad, then just enjoy your Christmas, your holiday, by overeating. Buying your family all kinds of expensive gadgets, tech gadgets. Matching pajamas for you and your pets. (laughs) And loads of Star Wars paraphernalia. Now you can do that anyway and that's fine. But if that's all there is, then that's the best you got going. The real good news is that God has not been scrambling to figure out how to save us. He's not in a panic. From the first time sin and brokenness entered the world, God had a plan to save us. He planned to send us a savior. He progressively revealed it, his unfolding pl- promise to save us over the centuries. Our focus this morning will be on the promise that he revealed 700 years before the com- the first coming of the savior. So 2700 years ago, he promised, he made this promise in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now in the first verse, in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, he uses the word for, and for takes us back to the prior five verses. And I'll summarize it for you. So what what Isaiah was saying is, the reason for what he says is that the gloom of the present days will, will be no more. Places that were contemptible, that were raunchy, will become glorious. Those who lived in the darkness of sin and its consequences will see a great light. God's people will multiply and, and will have ever-increasing joy. Their burdens and oppression will be, will be broken. Wars will cease. How will these things be accomplished? God sending us a child birthing us a baby. The Savior whom God would send wouldn't be a mighty angel, much less a Jedi Master. Sorry. He would come as a human child, a a baby. This picks up the unfolding promise of a child who would defeat sin and death and bring blessing to the world. And so, following the Bible storyline after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, representing the devil. God promised to Abraham, he was the father of the nation of Israel, that through his offspring all the nations of earth would be blessed. That was 4,000 years ago he made that promise. Then 1,000 years later, so 3,000 years ago from now, he made a promise to David. David was the first king of Israel. And he said, your offspring, one of your offspring is going to rule forever. And although God could have just destroyed his enemies directly, which would have been problematic for all of us, instead, he sends his son as a vulnerable baby. Isaiah mentioned this in chapter 7, verse 14. In Isaiah seven fourteen, Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive... That happens miraculously, not through in vitro fertilization. And bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then um, the unfolding promise of a Savior child comes to a climax in the angel's words to Mary. We read those earlier, but to highlight Luke 1, verses 30 to 33 And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, which angels, standard angel talk. They always have to say that every time. For you have found favor or grace with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You may have heard it said or you may have said it about a baby when it's been born. Just think, he, he or she could grow up to become president someday or anything he wants. We tend to say that or used to say that things like that in America where we believed in virtually unlimited opportunity for becoming whatever you want. There is only one baby of whom it was absolutely certain that he would become great. In fact, that he would be the savior of the world and and then the ruler of the world. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior Jesus, the promised savior. Well, um, Isaiah goes on and says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. There's a lot of controversy about government these days. Some think we need more government involvement to solve our problems. Some think we need less government someone to play a trump card god have mercy on us some think we need a change of government that will fix uh, what is broken in society in some way or another we hope that that government can save us from our problems whether military economic health uh, legal agricultural public safety or environmental But while the government can do some good, they're possibly able to do some good in those areas, Um, in promoting peace and protection and prosperity, we know that every system of government is broken to some extent and can never fully solve society's brokenness. No mere human government can save us. But God has promised that one day he will save us through government. He will send a child a son who will carry the government on his shoulder. He will bear the weight of the government. He will have dominion over all peoples, all nations, all creation. The Savior's first coming was to prepare a people who would live under his rule. So that's what he's doing now. He's, he's gathering up a people who joyfully want to live under his rule and his reign. This age we live in is like the primaries. Whose rule will you live under? The Savior's or something else? If we didn't already know it, we might begin to realize that such a child must be more than just a highly advanced human, just a highly qualified human being, highly gifted human being. It, and Isaiah goes on and says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, to say his name shall be called these things just means that there are, these are four ways of describing his character and his nature. So, wonderful counselor. Literally, this could be translated a wonder of a counselor. He's a wonder of a counselor. In another chapter, Isaiah says that the Lord is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The word wonderful most often refers to God's amazing works of power. So God knew that one thing his people would need in a savior is that he would be a wonder of a counselor. As the one who would rule the world in perfect and powerful justice and peace, he would need to have amazing capacity to give counsel to the nations. And and he would need to have perfectly wise and just counsel because he would be the sovereign ruler of the world. Not relying on counsel of others. As Paul says in Romans chapter 11, who has been the Lord's counselor? Does God need our counsel? He doesn't. Think of the decisions facing government today. They desperately need to give and receive good counsel. It's no wonder the world is such a mess without a wonderful counselor who has infinite wisdom and knowledge, who always knows what is the right decision who has not a bit of corruption, who can't be bribed or manipulated, who doesn't rely on opinion polls. You might have some difficult decisions to make that you could use a wonderful counselor for. You might have some overwhelming situations you're in the midst of. You may have one or a few counselors that you rely on, a family member, a professional, friends in your life, but some situations defy human wisdom. In fact, a lot of situations defy our wisdom. And you don't have the answers. That's why our Savior needed to be a wonderful counselor. He needed to be a wonder of a counselor. Isaiah said of the coming Savior that the Spirit of the Lord would would rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the Lord. In saving us, we have access to Christ's counsel through his word and spirit. And through his people. We don't get it perfectly in this life, but he gives us wisdom. And the Bible promises if you lack wisdom, ask for it and God will give it to you. So in in having a great Savior, we have great counsel. He's also mighty God. The, The Savior whom God had promised would also be called mighty God. Although the Savior would be truly human, coming to us as a baby, he would also be mighty God. This Savior ruler will have God's power, his might. Therefore, he can defeat all the evil opposed to him until the last enemy is defeated. You know what the last enemy is? Yeah, it says it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Christ must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. No mere human efforts can overcome death. We needed a Savior who could defeat death for us. Although our Savior would be mighty God, he took on our humanity so he could die for us. That's why he took on our humanity, in part, so he could die for us. So the Savior could combine great power with human weakness. As mighty God, he was perfectly holy, but he would become the sin bearer for us. This way he could defeat sin for us. And in his resurrection, he defeated death for us. And with the power of his holiness and indestructible life, sin and death will never rule and ruin the world again. Most of us have experienced the loss of loved ones, and this season of the year is particularly hard for that. We we feel the pain of that pretty acutely during the Christmas season, many of us. How good it is to know that for those who trust in the Savior, that God promised Jesus, sin and its inevitable consequence, death, will be entirely vanquished by the mighty God who became our Savior. Death is done for. Death has been served a death sentence. It's going to be swallowed up in life. He's also called the Everlasting Father. That is not to be confused with God the Father in terms of the Trinity. Uh, the, The Savior, the Messiah, is to be both God and man, as we've seen. The title Everlasting Father means the Savior will forever care for his people. He will forever supply their needs. He will always have compassion on them. He will keep them in life. And then he's also called the Prince of Peace. Nearly every king or ruler claims he will bring peace to the land. What is the cause of loss of peace? Well, because of sin, people are not at peace with God. They're hostile or indifferent to God. And because we are not at peace with God, we are not at peace with each other. And, and we don't have peace within ourselves. So we really have a desperate lack, def- deficit of peace. Lack of peace with God is one of the most fundamental problems we have. The promised Savior would accomplish a true peace between God and man. We can't imagine a world that's with, with at peace you can't imagine a world as a peace like what do we do in a peaceful world without war hostility conflict you would miss your favorite conflict terrorism crime we hope that through efforts of education governmental agreements, arms reduction, gun control, spreading democracy and economic improvement and singing John Lennon's Imagine. Or even if, if that doesn't work for you, then sing Let There Be Peace on Earth. And that's going to bring peace. While we should pursue means for doing the best we can to promote peace in this world, only the promised Savior can accomplish peace for the world by first accomplishing peace between God and man. God didn't initiate peace between himself and people by sheer domineering power, it wasn't a, just a power play. Isaiah prophesied that the Savior, Messiah, would come as a suffering servant and take upon himself the punishment for our sins that would bring peace. So in Isaiah 53, he says, But he, the the Messiah, the Savior, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was killed for for our peace, and with his wounds we are healed. If you're familiar with the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, you've heard what the angels declared to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who are those with whom God is pleased? Well, the only person that he's really pleased with is Jesus, the Son. So how do we get there? Only those who've been united to Jesus, the Savior, by faith can please God. As Paul says in Romans 5.1, having been justified, counted right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have peace with God through faith in Christ the Savior have peace with others who have peace with God, though that peace isn't perfected yet. For all the peace that we have available to us, we still have conflicts. But we we make progress. That will be with, in his second coming, Total peace. But he himself is our peace, having made us one body. And Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, promised before he ascended to God, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's just ironic that the season where we celebrate the coming of the the Prince of Peace tends to be more anxiety-ridden than almost any other season. Jesus gives us peace. He really does. He the, the the promised prince of peace freely gives us peace even in the worst situations to those who trust in him. And then in, in verse 7, Isaiah says of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. The Savior's government, his rule will never be successfully opposed. It will not corrupt and crumble. There are no term limits on him because our Savior is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Joyful submission to his rule will only increase forever. Holy, joyful, powerful peace will only increase forever. And because God promised it and because of the Savior's human identity, he will forever be identified as a descendant of David. Forever. Always remember that this Savior King is a descendant of of David in his human identity. God's promise to David that he would have his descendant rule forever will be forever fulfilled. God's promises are 100% reliable. If you see something in Scripture that God has promised, it's, it's absolutely certain he's going to fulfill it, whether now or in the future. So you might ask, well, is this promise only for the future, when Jesus returns, or does it have some application for today? And the answer is, already, already, but not yet. That's right. You get the Santa sticker. Already, Christ is preparing his kingdom through the spread of the gospel. As people believe in and confess him as Savior and Lord, they are spiritually born into his kingdom. As Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if you are reborn spiritually, you do enter the kingdom of God. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So there is a sense in which believers are already citizens of Christ's kingdom. In the church, we live under Christ's gracious rule through the gospel by his word and spirit. We don't do it perfectly because the kingdom is not yet here in full. But there will be no one living under his good government and enjoying his peace when he does come in his second advent who has not pre-registered. Have you pre-registered? You pre-register by trusting in the Savior Jesus. He's already run a a background check on you and found out that you absolutely are not qualified. You can't even get a visa. You are utterly disqualified to live in his kingdom. That's why God qualified us through uniting us to his son, receiving his righteousness as a gift through faith. This gives us the right to live in his kingdom and begins to make us right for living in his kingdom This is good because that's the kind of kingdom it is. That's what he says. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Christ the Savior will establish his rule as the promised offspring of David by upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. From this time, the time of his first coming, when he began preparing his kingdom or through... On, on through his return and the fulfillment of his kingdom on earth and then in the new heavens and new earth. So he's just he's on a quest to, to raise up a righteous kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness. That God would establish a just and righteous government was guaranteed and infallibly set in motion when the child was born and the son was given to us. So it's just, it was as good as done when Jesus was born. Imagine, just imagine, no more injustice. No more unrighteousness. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? See, I'm hungering for those those cookies that we're going to frost on. That'll be there for you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus promises you shall be satisfied. If you don't have that hunger you're probably not yet reborn spiritually because that comes with the package. For when Christ comes into your life, he gives you a new appetite for righteousness. You hunger, you long for it. You just can't have enough of it. And you hate every ounce of unrighteousness left in you. And then Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this the word for zeal can also be translated jealousy and we we'd have that a negative connotation with that word but when used of god jealousy or his zeal or his jealousy means a consuming concern and passion for the good of the one you care for and for protecting the love relationship from destructive forces so it's a consuming concern and passion for the one you care for The reason God's promise of a Savior was and is so certain is that He would fulfill it with His intense zeal. God is zealously fulfilling this. The establishing of of the, the government by the promised Savior in justice and righteousness will only happen by the Lord's zeal. It will not be the result of human religious fervor or wisdom. It will not be the result of political efforts. It won't be because the world is getting better and better in every way, in every every day, in every way. It won't be because the world adopts any policy, climate change or otherwise. It will be realized because of God's relentless passion for his own glory and love for the people he has called to himself. He is zealous for your salvation, and he's eager to do it. What a great Savior. What a great Savior. He gives us wonderful counsel. He does. He he gives you counsel through his word, through his people. He gives you strength. Have you noticed how weak you are? I mean, you're really weak. I, I know I'm super weak. I mean, I'm really, really weak. and I need God's strength to take the next breath and the next step to do anything for him, to function sometimes. God, the mighty God is our Savior. The mighty God died for us and rose again. He became one of us. Without losing his godness, he became one of us, so he could rescue us and set us right. He's an everlasting father. He cares. He cares for everything you're going through. He cares for you every minute, every day. Don't ever think he doesn't care. Don't ever think he's been looking the other way when stuff goes haywire. And he really, 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 really loves you. And he gives you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. His, his peace can, can trump all the chaos that you're going through. Don't forget, after we're done with our time of worship, to come up here and receive prayer. So Frank, Roy, Judy, um, Alyssa. Would you be willing to pray for people? So see the red hair? She'll pray with you. So let's pray now. Father, you gave us your son. You gave us a child. You gave us the Son of your love, your beloved Son, with whom you were well pleased. You were not pleased with anything or anyone else in the universe, but you sent your Son, who is the wonder of a counselor, who is mighty God, who is everlasting Father, who is Prince of Peace. How can we not? receive him by faith how can we not live for him how can we not love him how can we not be consumed with him in your zeal you're you're consumed with saving us and with growing us in righteousness you're so eager father for us to to enjoy all that you have for us in christ and you're zealously accomplishing it thank you that you're patient with us thank you that you give us the gift of life in jesus you've given us a savior who cannot be defeated who can't be overcome and his kingdom is being built and it's coming and it will be here in total one day. And we long for that day. But until that time, Father, may we be living out the good news of the gospel of, of Christ, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. In his name we pray. Amen.